All right, Carrie, would you pray for us? Father, again, we thank you for today, God. We thank you for the blessings of today, God. We thank you for Norma and her birthday, that you will bless her indeed, Lord. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you that we have the privilege of coming together, God, and we would never take that for granted, Lord. And God, I thank you that um, you love us enough to send us your son and that you he left us with the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you for conviction and we thank you for um, the prodding and that we would be obedient to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. We're going to get started in just a second. Just a couple minutes. I thank the Lord. I'm wrong. Good morning, Melissa, again. All right, we'll go into our time of worship.
Jesus. Father, for the hope that we have in you, Lord. Father, you are all that we need. Yes. And Father, your word says for us to fix our eyes upon you and that our hope in you, Father, will never disappoint us. No matter what we might be facing today in our lives or the days to come, Lord, we know that nothing is greater than you, that you are the resurrected Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you are seated, Father, at the throne, at the right hand of the throne of God, in the place of authority. And so, Father, we thank you, God, that you have ordered our steps. Father, we thank you that your word says that you have prepared good works for us to do, Lord. And so, Father, I pray, God, that we would have an attentive ear today, God, as your word declared, as you did for the disciples, that you would do for us, God, that you would open up our minds, that we may have understanding of thy word. Fathers, the Holy Spirit leads us. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, whom you said, Father, that you had to go away so that he would come. Our comforter, our teacher, our guide. And so, Father, we come and we submit ourselves unto you, Father. And we say, Lord Jesus, have your way. Father, that we may, Father, live lives, God, that would ultimately bring glory and honor to thy name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. 
community is what I've been talking about this year. Two definitions that I keep presenting to us each Sunday. The first one, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. The second definition, of a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And as I've been sharing with you, Jesus says that he is going to build his church. In the book of Acts, if you look at and study the book of Acts, you see that the church is birthed. People began to gather together in community. And remember what I've been sharing with you over the past couple of weeks, and Jesus is the center of that community. We know we can look throughout the earth, we can look throughout our, our, our city here. There's a lot of communities within our city, within our nation, and within the earth. But what I'm trying to encourage us is, is that it's the Christian community that only has Christ at the center. So that community is the only community that ultimately has the truth, Jesus. Everything that the church does is built off the truth of who Jesus is. Just like any other community, they have some form, something in the center that they build their lives off of. And I've been challenged us over the past couple of weeks is that it grieves my heart that these other communities take their interests, they take their common characteristics more serious than the church community. Everything, if you look at, out at any other community, what they believe defines them. The Christian community, that's how it should be. Whom we believe, Jesus, and Jesus alone, should define us, because this is what the Word of God says. Because as believers, we are born again of a new nature. The Bible says that all things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You are a new creation. You see, we were all born in this nature that is in rebellion towards God. That's why the Bible says that we're all sinners. And that's what I keep encouraging us over the past few months, is that you have to learn about God from God. <laughs> From his word, as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into truth. Because the word of God says it's the truth that will set you free. Far too long, what happens is that we learn of God from the enemy, from the world, and from our flesh. The three things that are against God are the very things that try to teach us about God to keep us from God. And so you hear the lies about God. Oh, that he's a bad God, or, or that he doesn't, he's not a loving God, or, you know, we get these pictures of, of him just waiting to, to crush us. But the reality is, is that God loves us. His desires that none shall perish. His desires that we all will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him, whoever would believe in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is important. And this is the center of the Christian community. This is why we gather. This is why we come together. The Bible says that he births the church so that the church could take the good news into the world to share this good news with others. That they would come to know Jesus. That they would place their hope and their faith and everything about them in Jesus. Jesus. 
And Jesus himself looks out and says, before you come and enter into my community, before you come to to, to truly trust in me, consider what it's going to cost you. Because it's going to cost you everything. Because this world, this world and everything of it is not part of Jesus. Remember, everything in this world is at war with the throne of God. And that's why we can look out and see all the chaos that's going on. But as Christians, we don't have to get caught up in the chaos. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be bound by fear. No, because we have the hope in Christ that says, come and live. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what is happening, come and live because of what Jesus has done. You see, so when that defines an individual, when that defines a community, that community, that individual begin to make an impact with the good news of the gospel. Because we're called to go forth. We're called to go. And that I want you to keep hearing that word over and over. Go. Go tell someone about Jesus. Go tell someone the truth about Jesus. Because they're being lied to about Jesus. The gospel does offend. Because it will. Because in and of your flesh, you don't want to hear that you're doing wrong. You don't want to hear. You want want God to be the God that you want him to be. Because it's easier to adapt. For him to adapt to our ways than for us to adapt to his way. But God in and of himself is not going to adapt to our ways. He's God. He's holy. And so he calls a people out and he says, you are mine. Remember what I told you. The secret to understanding God is to know his purpose and his will. And from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, he reveals it to us. He is looking to have a people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call him their God. They will live for him. They will love him. Remember the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength, with your very being. Love God. And remember, from the beginning, it was all about Jesus. The cross, the resurrection wasn't a second thought. No, it was purpose before even the earth was formed. Christ was purpose. The cross was purpose. The resurrection was purpose because that's ultimately God's plan. And so when God set the Israelites apart for himself from all the other nations on the earth, remember what I shared with you last week. God told them basically one thing. Don't worship like the other nations worship. Like you're my people. I've set you apart for a purpose. The Messiah is going to come through you. And this Messiah is going to redeem mankind, the created, you and I. But what happened with the Israelites? They walked with God. They knew God. God was revealing himself time and time and time and time again to them. But listen, they didn't keep their eyes on God. They started looking at the other nations. And they were more impressed with how those other nations worshipped. And so what they did is they began to mingle with these other nations. And so they began to adapt 
their true worship to the true God, they begin to adapt and they begin to take in these other ways of worship and add it to their worship. But remember what God says. God says that he is a jealous God. And God says, oh no, you are not going to worship me that way. I've called you one way and one way only. You are my people and I am your God. You're not going to bring all that in. But they wouldn't listen. And so we see all through the Old Testament how God's people loved him one day and didn't love him the next. They wanted more freedom in what they thought was freedom and their worship. And the reality, what it did is it led them into bondage. If they would have just listened to what God laid out for them. God is not a mean God. He's not a stingy God. He's not trying to force them to conform to his will. No, he knows that freedom only comes from true expression of worship, ultimately to the creator. Remember, we are at war with God. God is not at war with us. He's the creator. We're the created. And so we are at war and we tell him, we tell him, you're not God, we are. We're going to do what we like. We're going to do what we want. We're going to move on our desires. We're going to think and do and say however we want. And you have to adapt to us. But listen, you're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. And God says, no, no, there's one way. From the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, God has laid out a standard. And that standard is love. (laughs) He first loved us. And then he calls us to love him. To love him. And so as a community of believers, this is a standard in which we uphold for ourselves and for each other. And so we come to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. And this is the purpose of the church. To go, declare the good news, to be able to support other believers, to encourage them, to edify, and to build them up. To see people come to Christ when we share the good news as the Holy Spirit draws them to be able to encourage them as well in order to see them come to an understanding and the acceptance of Christ for them to take the steps of of obedience and being baptized and then from there being discipled because Jesus tells them to go and to declare the good news, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and then teaching them to obey all of my commands. So there's an important understanding, there's an important understanding that we are to teach. We are to encourage each other with his commandments. Remember, God's commandments aren't burdensome. They're liberating. They free you. The only time if you ever felt God's commandments as burdensome is because you see them through a religious lens. And that's how the enemy deceives people. See, religion is burdensome. You have to do all the work. And that's what religion does from day one. From day one. And the way that the enemy deceives people is he goes, did God really say? And as long as he begins to make you question God in a way to doubt God, then it leads you down a path of, of, of unrighteousness. It leads you down a path of deception. It leads you down a path of of greater offense towards God. Because now you feel the burden to be good. (laughs) 
But the reality is, and remember, when the law was given, when the Ten Commandments was given, it was to point to Jesus. It was to point to the Messiah. God knew good and well that mankind, the created, could not maintain it. And the law was never meant for man to maintain. It was always meant for Jesus to fulfill. And so Jesus says, I don't come to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And so what does the Bible say uh, in the New Testament about the church is that our identity now is in Jesus. That is our identity. And as we are in Christ, we're learning of Christ. And the Bible says that he transforms us by changing the way we think. That we begin to live these lives differently, not perfectly, differently because we're maturing. See, we're not perfect until we're with him. We're not perfect until we're with him, but we ought to be maturing. We ought to be growing. We should have a a deeper level and a deeper hunger for the things of God, to learn of God, to know God, to walk with God, to hear from God, to trust in God, to honor God, because this is the hope that we have. And so this is the good news of the Bible. This is the good news of community, that we have the same interests, the same characteristic. Jesus is the center. And so we gather. Why do you think that the enemy is working overtime? The world systems are working overtime. The flesh is working overtime to destroy community, true community, the true essence of Christian community. Is because the enemy knows, the world systems know, and the flesh knows that when the people of God come together, Oh, how God moves in a way to honor what he has brought together. And so we have to understand that God is good. God is gracious. God is kind. And God is loving. And there's a way in which we ought to live. And it's a way that honors him. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And as I was thinking and praying through this week, you know, so many times, and, I, and, I've, and I've shared with you over the past couple of weeks and trying to really encourage you all that you should be able to defend the faith, not argue with people, not, not beat people over the head with the Bible, but you should be able to defend the faith. You should be able to know whom you believe and why you believe and, and be able to share with them about Jesus. It's so important. Apart from Christ, unbelievers are offended of the message. But once you're in Christ, Christians shouldn't take offense with truth because we are to defend it. But I'm finding that more Christians are offended than defending it. They want their way. It's how I want it. It's what I believe the word says. And they begin to change it to fit them. But that is not truth. That's actually bondage. And so because they're offended, they want a God that appeases them and that does for them. But the reality is, is that's not the Christian faith. Jesus says the call of a disciple is to deny yourself, to pick up the cross and to follow me. And to trust in him, to know him. But the Bible is very clear that we are to be able to defend the faith, that we should know what we believe, who we believe, why we believe. And we ought to not back down from it. Again, it's not that you're going out there arguing with people. It's not about arguing. But it is about not backing down. 
You should be able to stand for truth because it's what defines you. It is your identity now. And you should be able to know. You should be able to stand. You should be able to articulate. You should be able to, to open up the word as the Holy Spirit is leading you and teaching you, and as you're abiding in Christ. Because remember, Scripture says you are to abide in Him, that apart from Him you can do nothing. So I want to hear these Scriptures. I want to read these few Scriptures to encourage you to persevere, truly understanding what community means. And what are you doing this year? How are you challenged this year to really be a part of community? Not just show up, but to be a part of community, to really be engaging in community. And so let's hear some scripture. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other, that there be no division in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. So unity is very important. Unity, to, to, to maintain it, to strive for it, to not allow the enemy a foothold, to not be divisive, to not sow seeds of, of division or backbiting or gossiping. But the reality is, is that to truly be there for one another. And I've always told you, true freedom comes from true transparency. First before God and then before man. There's nothing that any of us have done or will do that should shock us. No, no, no. The reality is, is that we are still in the flesh. In the book of Galatians, it tells us the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But as John 10, 10 tells us, we understand that it's the thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life and abundance. <laughs> I've come to give you life, he says, and life in abundance. So that is the unity. That's what we're building off, is to understand that we want to be able to speak life to each other. Your past, your present, or your future is not going to make me think any less of you, nor should anyone else's past or present or future make you think less of them. Because the reality is, is that all we all need, all we need is Christ. And so the good news is, is that that's what we give to each other, is the hope in Christ. Sin should not be mastering us individually or collectively as the church, because sin has been defeated through Christ. Sin and death, the power of sin and death have been defeated. And so we have a message of liberation. We have a message of freedom. But we don't use that freedom to satisfy our urges. <laughs> No, no, that freedom is to go forth and to serve others and tell others there is freedom to the captives. And his name is Jesus. And so unity is important. And Paul is telling a church in Corinth, listen, be unified, remain unified. Because he understands the importance of it. I want you to go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, 7 through 17. Actually, it's going to be 1 John 1, 7 through 10. 
and then chapter 2 through 17. Here we go. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And there again, that fellowship with each other, that understanding of community, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have heard, who have, you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers, listen to this, only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in all of our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But... Anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The word of the Lord, encouraging the church to live for God, to love God, 
to keep their eyes focused and fixed upon Jesus, to live in such a way that honors God, to, to be able to be transparent with each other, to be able to confess our sins before God and before each other, not carrying an attitude as if we're better than anyone else, but remaining humble before God and humble before each other so that we can truly experience life, the fullness of life, while we're upon this earth waiting for that glorious day when Jesus returns. And for eternity, those who are in Christ will be with him. And this is the good news, and and this is what we're encouraging each other with. Day in and day out. Listen, this is the word of the Lord. From beginning to end, there's nothing new. We can't add to it, and we can't take from it. This is what he's left us. This is how we get to know him. As the Holy Spirit inspires us. As we go forth. As as Jesus begins to transform our minds and our hearts. As we day by day yield to his leading. Oh, do you love the Lord? Are you seeking him? You see, again, it's not about doing the religious works. No, what it's about is... Trusting in Jesus. Only Jesus, you all. As I was saying on Wednesday night, only Jesus. You can't add and you can't take away. If you would just believe and call upon him. He paid the price. He fulfilled the law. He took our punishment all because he loves us. And he says, come, this is the way of freedom. This is the way of freedom. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to all of it. No, I have liberated you. And this is the good news because now we're living for him. And so we're being instructed here on how we're to be living. How are we to be encouraging each other first? And that's why I always tell you, before you try to go out and preach the gospel to someone else, preach it to yourself daily. (laughs) You need to hear it daily. You know, and so then you can go out and live it. Sometimes you may not even have to say words. It's just your actions. It's just the way you serve others. Because remember, as a Christian, we don't think of ourselves as better than anyone else. No, we think of others better than us. And so we, just, we, we want to serve Christ and we want to serve others. We want to humble ourselves. And we want to remain humble in hopes that others would come to know Christ. Not applaud the way that we live, but to see Christ and to know Christ. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Again, scriptures I'm sharing with you to encourage you to keep persevering in community. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 22. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 22. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. And he's talking about those in the church. <laughs> See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. 
Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now, may the Lord, I'm sorry, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. God is faithful, you all. Again, the church is being instructed on how they ought to be living. The Word of God tells us that those who are unbelievers, they will look upon the church, and how will they know that we belong to Him? By the way we love one another. That's the mark of, of, of Christian fellowship, of a community of believers, is our love for one another, because our love first for Him. And so we're yet again being reminded on how we ought to be living how we ought to be treating each other first. Because I've always said over the years, if you can't do it among here, among a community, a fellowship, you can't do it out there. (laughs) You won't be able to. It first starts here. It first starts here. (laughs) Like, what as you receive from Christ, you give to others. And you treasure Christ and, and you treasure community and you treasure the call that's upon your life to go and to tell others about Jesus. And this is the good news. Again, these are standards that man didn't place, but God has set in place because he knows what he's called us to do. You see, when your eyes are open to truth, when you've surrendered your life to Christ, you recognize it's no longer my life to live. Oh, I know how I would live if I was still in charge. But when Christ is in charge, see, you have to know him in order to go forth and to be his hands and his feet, to be able to serve and love. As we heard scripture just tells us, tell, tell us is that we are to live as Jesus lived. You see, this is the standard. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, it's the last scripture of this portion of our time together on community. Again, I'm giving you these scriptures. It's scriptures you've heard before and will continue to hear throughout the year because I'm hoping it will provoke thought, hoping it will provoke prayer, hoping it will provoke action for you to be part of a community. And what does that look like in your life? Again, it's just not about going and showing up for church and then going right back out and just live however you want. No, there's a, there, there's a call of the church in our time. Listen, this is what I told you all. Your purpose for today. If you still have breath in your body, you're purposed. And as the world is getting darker and darker, you should be and I should be getting brighter and brighter. Oh, we're not cowering down in fear. We're not being upset. We're not reacting when we see all this stuff going on. No, that just prompts us to be like, Oh, God, I need more of you because, God, I need to burn brighter because you purposed me for today. Remember, the Bible says he's purposed you. He formed you. He fashioned you. He has gifted you. He has equipped you. 
And so he has knows the, the plans that he has for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so this is the good news, is that your purpose, never doubt that, you, that, you, that you're of, of no value. Oh, you're quite valuable to God. He, he numbered the hairs on your head. He knows you. You have just been at war with him. But when, you, when he reveals himself to you, remember the Bible says, God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. Because of his great love for you. And so when you get that revelation, you can't help again but to humble yourself to receive this free gift of salvation and to be born again. That's why Jesus says you must be born again and born again of the Spirit. So that you can then accomplish all that he has purposed for you. So again, in this day and age, when the whole earth is in an uproar, oh, the church ought not to be in an uproar. No, the church ought to be about her father's business. We're to be about what God has called us to do. Go forth and be a light. Even if they hate you. Even if they make fun of you. No matter what they say about you, it's not about you. They're not fighting you. They're fighting God. You're just a representative to go forth and to tell the good news. And so again, you don't have to go out there and start arguments. You can just live your life. And trust me, when people see you live your life and you're not quivering and you're not shaking and you're not overwhelmed and you're not this and you're not that and they see that you have some sense of peace about you, trust me, people are going to ask, what is it that keeps you in peace? There's things going on in your life. I know there are, but why can you, why do you sense sense to have this peace about you? And that just opens the door because of Jesus. And you can begin to tell what he's done in your life and how he has seen you through. Because Jesus himself tells us, oh no, your life in this world is not going to be easy because you've come to Jesus. He tells you, in this world, you will have trouble. But listen to what he tells those who belong to him. But be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. And so we can face all these circumstances, everything that we can face in this earth, with a heart that, with a, with heart that has hope in Jesus. Yeah. I mean, each of us, I can go around the room, we can all tell of, of things that we're going through or have gone through, and it's only God that has kept us. <laughs> kept us sane, kept us at peace, you know? I mean, listen, there's so much that, we can, that we, we're going to face. That's why we, don't have, we shouldn't hide from each other or hide from God. If you're going through and you need support, like you ought to be very transparent. You're not living up a, a, of, of a standard to, to, to make me happy or to make others happy. No, you're living for Christ. And if Christ himself says, hey, listen, you're going to go through it on this earth, but be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. And so we can take that and we can face each and every single day that's going to challenge us. And we can say, God, your word says that trials come to produce something within us. And what's there to produce? Character. Perseverance and character. And I've always said the problem with a lot of Christians and a lot of church communities is that they don't persevere. They don't persevere, they give up. They give in. They just start allowing everything and anything 
that's not what we're called to do. We're called to persevere because as you persevere, as you go through these trials, as you persevere, his character is being built. He's equipping you for what's ahead for you. You see, it's all about him, you all, and you can get up every single day. And Lord knows I've gone through my own seasons of life in the deepest of valleys since I became a Christian. And all that we can do in those seasons is call upon Christ and he will see us through. I told you all before many years ago, I used to pray, God, get me out of it. God, get me out of it quickly. But my prayer life has changed. No, God, keep me in it until I learn what you have for me. Like, I don't want to complain about it. I don't want to murmur. I don't want to grumble. Like, God, I just want to embrace what you have brought my way because you have seen fit for it to produce something within me. And not just within me, but within us. As the church on the earth. And the greatest, when when do we see the church really exploding? Is when it's under intense persecution. Under the intense persecution. To the natural mind, it makes no sense. But that's why we're not natural people if we're born again, because we're born of the Spirit. So we have the understanding of the spiritual mind. Okay, God, you're at work. So may we burn bright and not grow dim. Now, did I even read Colossians? (laughs) Colossians 3 um, is where we were. Yeah, 1 through 17. Here we go. Living the new life. Again, encouraging the community. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits and the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life, oh, hear this, is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So then what do we do, church? So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these things, or these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. So put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him in this new life. It doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you, oh, so hear that. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, 
For as members as one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, this is community, you all. This is what I'm excited about this year, to really, really get grounded in truth and how the church is to be living. Because the church is under a major assault and an attack over the past few years. I mean, it's always been under attack and and under great assault. But what we're finding, and, and I keep saying to you, is as things are transitioning on the earth, preparing for the Lord's return, the openness that the church had is dwindling. And the way we used to do church, it can't be done that way anymore. What we have to do is begin to get grounded and rooted in Christ to be able to live our lives out in the office, among our family members, out in the community, in a way that honors Christ, and that we go forth and we begin to share the good news. It's not about just showing up. It's not about just giving when you want to give. It's just not about doing the, the works. No, are you living the life? Because it's not about going to church, it's being the church. There's a way in which we are called to live. Your life is transforming day in and day out. Your old nature, your old ways, you're dying to them. You're learning to say no. Like, I'm not living that way any longer. I'm not doing that any longer. No, I know who I am in Christ. Because Christ is whom I'm serving. I'm a new creation because of him. There is a way in which we are called to live and to live not only individually, but collectively so that we can accomplish what God has purposed us to accomplish. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I wanted to share this with you because I, I spoke on it a little Last week, and I said I'll speak on it some today. So, Second Timothy, chapter three, <clears throat> verse one through seven, the dangers of the last day. I'm sorry, um, one through seventeen. <clears throat> Paul's writing to Timothy, and as these words are written for Timothy, they're written for us. They are words of encouragement so that we can truly understand like what we're up against. What's ahead for us. You know, again, when I say to you, you ought to be able to defend the faith. As a Christian, you shouldn't remain offended by it. You should be able to defend it. You should be able to know because it's who you are now. It's like every day you get up, you know how you're living because this is your identity. Just like before Christ, you knew who you were and that's how you live. So it is now as a new creation. Remember I told you when I first came to Christ, my prayer. How now then shall I live, Lord? Because 
I know what I like. I know what I'm what I will do. I know who I am. So how am I to live now? Because everything that I am, everything about me is in rebellion towards you. I don't want to remain in rebellion towards you. So God, just just show me, teach me, teach me. And that should be the depths of our cry every single day. Like, God, how am I to live now? God, because we're not perfected, we're not totally made whole until we're with him. So that's why I always tell you all to be maturing, you all to be growing. And don't fall into the pit if you sin, if you fall, that you stay down. (laughs) No, you get up. Not in of your own strength, but because you've repented. Like, oh God, with a sincere regret and remorse. Like, God, I'm sorry. Teach me. Teach me how I'm to live. Like, God, I know I don't want to keep doing this. And so you then begin to walk in obedience to how the Holy Spirit's directing you. As you're learning of Him. Because again, the days on the earth are getting darker. And the Bible tells us what the days are going to be like before his return. And so again, as the church, that's why we don't get caught up in the chaos. No, we're excited. So fan the flame. Get up and be a productive Christian. Live your life in a way that honors God. Not everyone loves Jesus. Not everyone wants to live a Christian life. I mean, you can go out and people will talk about God or, or maybe they talk about a Jesus that they've created. But the reality, the true Christ, the true Jesus, no, this world is at war against. And so Paul is writing to this young believer. Paul is Timothy's mentor in the faith. And so he's encouraging this young man. And so as you hear these words, hear them for yourself, because again, this is the living word of God. Man penned it, but the Holy Spirit inspired it. So listen to this. The dangers of the last day. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last day there will be very difficult times. For people will only love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And this is what I told you. This is the only place we find in the Bible. God is very specific on who to stay away from. People who say they are in relationship with Christ, but there's no transformation in their lives. Because they're denying the power of God to transform them. And so they're mocking Christ. He goes on. They're the kind of people who work work their way into people's homes... Win confidence over vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin, controlled by various desires. Such women, oh God, hear this. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. 
They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. They won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Echidium, and Lystras. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, O oh Lord, hear this, verse 12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you, so again, all of this is happening. He's warning Timothy. We understand the days that are upon the earth. And I love this. He says, in the midst of all of this, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught by the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Oh, did we hear that? Did you see the purpose of Scripture and the importance of it being taught? Hear this one more time, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And I love this. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare, oh God help us, and equip his people to do every good work. What keeps you from the word? Think about that. If the enemy and the world system and the, your flesh can keep you from the word, you remain ignorant. And you will not grow. But, oh child of God, you are not to remain ignorant. You are to be faithful. Not because you have to. Remember, it's not a burden. The Christian life is not a burden. If it's a burden, then all you know is religion. See, the, the, the truth of the Christian life, it's very liberating. It's free. It's freedom. And my God, you can live it in a way that honors God. And you can trust the fact that he is faithful to complete what he's begun in you. I didn't wake up and start and say one day, oh, I'll follow Jesus. Oh, no. You would never wake up one day and say, oh, I'll follow Jesus. No, your flesh would never do that. So if there is even an inclination to know God, it's because God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus. He begins this work in you. He is faithful. He loves you first. And so we're called to honor him and to love him in all that we do. And I love these scriptures when I think of when Jesus paints this picture about the last days. 
how horrible it is on the earth. But do you remember what Jesus did says after he paints this picture, how crazy it's going to be? He says, but my gospel will continue to be preached throughout the earth. Let it get ugly. Let it get chaotic. Let it get dark. It doesn't matter because in, the, in Christ, we've already won. We're just here for his purpose. We're here for truth, for his way, to uphold truth, to, to live life in a way that would bring freedom and hope to others. And this is the good news that we should be passing on to the next generation and to the next generation until the next generation that they would know Jesus and live for Jesus. There's an all-out assault on the youth today. And we should be standing in the gap for them instead of just tearing them down with our mouths and with our thoughts and with our actions. We should be standing in the gap praying for them. It's an all-out assault on the youth today. And so we ought to be loving them and encouraging them. And they ought to see us living for Jesus, not just talking about Jesus. But living for Jesus and what it means to have a life in Christ, knowing Christ, living for Christ, but ultimately loving Christ. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 5. Every Sunday, as I pray and I prepare for us, I know you all get a lot of Scripture. But I want you to take these Scriptures back and not just hear them because I read them to you, but that you go back and you pray through them and you read them. Like my hope is i got a short window of time with you on Sundays. I know to you all, this is a long time, but I've got a short window of time for the amount of time that you have in your week. That you're being bombarded by the enemy, by the world systems, and by your flesh. So my, my prayer is, every time I prepare for us, is that God would equip us. That, that, that Jesus would open up our minds to his understanding. That you just don't hear it on Sunday, and then you just go live however you want the rest of the week. But that you truly listen. And that you truly go away and you sit and you open up. And, and if you have questions or you're unsure, that you join on Wednesday nights and so that you can be a part of a discussion and maybe have your questions answered. And that if, Or if you're not able to join on Wednesday, connect with me and say, hey, can we just walk through this? Like, how do I live this? Because the Bible warns us, just don't be a hearer of the word. You have to be a doer. Hearing it does no good for you. How are you applying it? You have to apply the truth. Remember, the religious men of Jesus' day and the religious people of our day, they have all the knowledge of God. But yet, they keep people from him. And remember what Jesus said to them. He says, your father is the devil. He's talking to religious men who knew scripture back and forth, left and right. And he tells them, you travel far, you work hard to go win converts, but you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. These are Jesus' words because he recognized that people who just have a religious mindset actually keep people from God. When we all not to keep people from God, we ought to be introducing people to God. 
and allowing them to know how much God loves them. So spiritual growth is so important. And these next portions of Scripture that I'm going to read here, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, then chapter 6, 1 through 3, is a call for spiritual growth. There is much more... (laughs) There is much more we could we would like to say about this. But it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Paul knew his audience. He knew they weren't out of place of maturity. He was talking, if you go back to chapter 4 and look at the beginning of chapter 5, he's talking about lofty spiritual understanding. And so he comes to a place where he's like, there's much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through, I love this, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Through training, through application, you begin to learn the skill to recognize the difference between what is right and wrong. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward in further to further understanding. His hopes is that he, he would begin to see them grow, to see them mature. For far too long, people just show up for church, and they want the pastor, they want the leaders to live out the faith for them. You do it for us. That's been from Moses' time. You remember? God wanted all the people to come. Moses was finally excited. Whoo, the burden's going to be off me. Now God wants to speak to the people. And remember, God spoke, and they were like, No, no, Moses, Moses, you, you stand between God and us. And Moses is like, No, wait, what are you doing? See, from the beginning, all along, God wants to dwell with you, dwell with us. It's an intimate relationship. But most people just like to be like, yeah, no, let let them be closer to God. I'll just kind of exist on their faith. And that's not existing. That's not even salvation. That's not even knowing Christ. No, no, no. You're to come. You're to learn. You're to apply, and then you ought to be growing so that then there's multiplication. You're going out, sharing your faith. You going out, inviting people into church. You going out and loving Christ and loving others and impacting your sphere of influence with truth. 
with truth. And so it's so important, you all, to, to grow and to mature. And so one tool that we've been using this year is the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a tool from years and years and years ago that was produced to equip the church so that she will know what she and whom she believes in. And so we are on part two deliverance, God the Son, Lord's Day 12. And so each Sunday I've been giving you a few questions. And and then the answers to those questions, that's all based on Scripture. And so if you like the notes, get with Carrie, or you'll get on the email, or you'll be added to, to our Facebook page. But you should take these notes, you should take these questions, you should pray through them, you should open up and look at the answers. That's all based on Scriptures. And so that you can, again, be able to defend the faith. So we're again, we're on the, the God the Son, understanding Jesus. So the question is, why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? And so here's the answer. Because he has been ordained by God, the Father, and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. Our only high priest who has delivered us from the one, I'm sorry, delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father and our eternal King who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. This is why we call him Christ, the anointed. Second question, but why are you all called Christians? Because by faith, I am a member of Christ, and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all Creation for eternity. See, you have to learn. You have to know that you know that you know. So that each day you get up and you realize, I am behind enemy lines. This world is not my home. I am a child of God. I know who I am because I know who he is. And that's why I keep telling you, don't learn your theology. Don't learn about him from from false avenues that only give you... (laughs) the wrong image of him. Like when you know him, when you recognize that he is pleased, not because of anything you've done, but because all Christ has done, he is pleased to reveal himself to you. That's why I love Romans 5.1. It says, now therefore you're at peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. You're no longer, if you're a child of God, you're no longer at war with God. You're no longer in rebellion towards his throne. No, you are finally at peace with him because of Christ. We're going to take communion before we get into the last part of our time together. So as Norma prepares to come to serve us, I'm going to play a song. I pray that you'll take this time just to be reflective. If there's anything that you need to confess, please do so unto the the Holy Spirit and be renewed and be restored. And allow these words to encourage you.
I don't want to move from this holy, holy place for too many times I've resisted your grace no I don't want to move from your sweet of your blood that was shed on the cross for each and every one of us and in that moment it completed everything and that we are no longer in lack we have everything we need to live the life that has been set before us the life of Christ so I pray as we hold this that we would think of it every time we go to speak or go to do something that doesn't honor you that your sacrifice would not be in vain. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take the cup. We go to our ending portion of our time together, which is titled Walking Through Scriptures. And so basically, a couple years or so ago, we started this, where we start off with a portion of an Old Testament, we go to the New Testament, then we go to Psalms, and then we close in Proverbs. And today we find ourselves... In 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 1 through 51. 
And we're not going to read all of those scriptures today. I send those scriptures out to you each Monday so you know what scriptures to study and to, and to pray through. If you haven't read through them, go back and read through them this week. Basically, these portions of scripture is when Solomon is building his palace, but also the writer, the author of it, talks about completing the temple. Now, last week we read through chapter 6 when the temple was completed. He took seven years to complete it. But I want to hone in this morning on this commentary that I read regarding this chapter from the study Bible. One of the study Bibles I use, it's called the Study Bible to, to Discover God by Bill Bright. And I want you to hear the commentary about this chapter, especially towards the end of the chapter. The author is very specific about the sea. And how the sea, a part of the furniture within the temple is the sea. And then there's these bulls that the sea sits on and that these bulls are facing outward. And so you have to get this beautiful picture as you read about the, the furniture that's within the temple and what it symbolizes. But before that, we're going to hear about Solomon. And we have talked at length about Solomon. Remember, Solomon is King David's son. He is now on the throne. King David has passed away. And God is fulfilling everything that God has purposed and planned for the Israelites through the reign of Solomon. Solomon in and of himself, yet though the Bible says that Solomon loved God. We've already, I've, I've talked about it for weeks now. That word love <laughs> that the Bible uses that says that Solomon loved God is the same word, the same word that, that the Bible uses when it said Solomon loves his many wives. It's not a covenant loyalty. It's not a genuine affection towards God or even towards his wives. No, it, it, it's just a love that's, huh, I love you today, I may not love you tomorrow. <laughs> you do for me and I love you. But it's not a, a real love. And so we understand this. And so what we said, well, then what can we learn from Solomon? Is that ultimately we see Solomon from the beginning of his reign begin to make choices that he ought not to make because ultimately they go against God. They go against, so he is not in covenant with God of Israel. He's on the throne. God has placed him on the throne and God is using him because what, what did God give him? Wisdom. He was a very wise king. Remember, all these other kings and all these other people are coming to Israel just to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So he was a very wise man because God gave him the wisdom, but God knew his heart. But God was still going to fulfill his purpose, not because of anything of Solomon. No, because what we can take from this chapter, from the chapter of 1 Kings that we're studying, is that God is faithful to his word. See, what God has planned, what God has purposed, God will bring about. And so I want you to hear this commentary. Because it's weird, I don't know, I don't know how many of you read it, but it's weird that it opens up. It, it talks about Solomon building his palace, but then it transitions quickly back to the temple. And it leaves the reader going, what, what just happened? But there's a reason for it. So listen. So rather than proceeding to the topic of furnishing the temple, the author interrupts his narrative to report on the construction of Solomon's palace complex. 
The author may have sought to minimize the palace by enveloping it with the construction and furnishing of the temple. Or he simply may have wanted to group building projects together. It is very likely, however, that the author intended to foreshadow Solomon's later preoccupation with his own glory. After all, this palace was much longer than the temple and over twice as wide. In this way, Solomon is contrasted with David, who felt ashamed to live in a palace while the ark had no permanent home. And so what can we see here? Again, Solomon, it's all for him. It's all for his glory. And if you understand that the end of Solomon's life, he loses it. He loses it. But all of his decisions, all of his choices, yet though, yet again, he was a very wise king, the wisest of them all. And it started affecting the nation of Israel, so much so that at the end of his life, there's going to be a civil war. See, your choices and my choices, oh, we may not see the fruit of them today, but trust me, and we all know this kingdom principle, what you sow to, you will reap. Ultimately, it will come, if not just upon you, but upon those around you. And so we have to be mindful in the decisions and the choices that we're making. Are they honoring God? And I love this next part. It says, how can you tell when you are getting spiritually weak? When are you, when you are losing your spiritual vigor, you, show, you will show tell, tell signs. Solomon's first sign was that he married a pagan woman. That was forbidden in the law of Moses. Second, he began to acquire a great number of horses, which we talked about before. This may seem innocent, but Moses forbade it as well. Israel's kings had to rely on God to save them, not their fleets of battle steeds. After Solomon finished the temple in seven years, he took almost twice as long to build his own home. And the honor of the name of his buildings went to those who supplied the materials, not to the Lord. These problems foreshadow Solomon's character failures that would plague Israel and play a great part in promoting civil war between northern Israel and southern Judah. So with this understanding, what signs of spiritual weakness do you see in your life now or in the past? What can you do to make the next phase of your life reflect spiritual maturity? And then finally, verses 23 through 26 of chapter 7 is, is how he's furnishing the temple. And again, he talks about the sea and how we have to read it. It's actually quite beautiful. And so I wanted you to get an understanding of what all that meant. The sea replaced the bronze basin Wash, I'm sorry, the bronze wash basin in the tabernacle, priests used for ritual cleaning. This piece of temp, temple furniture was rich in symbolism. In ancient mythology the, mythology, the sea was a chaotic enemy of the gods. The still waters of the sea before the temple may have recognized God's power over the chaotic elements of creation. Likewise, the bull was a symbol of power and fertility in the ancient world. Setting the sea 
on a base of 12 bulls facing the four points of the compass suggested God's power over all the earth. And so it's vital to understand the way every detail about this temple, every piece of furniture that went in there was all for God's glory to reveal something to those who would come to worship about their God. I see one thing that we can take away is that we know our God. Oh, I pray that you do. How great he is. He is God over all creation. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Everything is in place that he has purpose, And ultimately there will be, will be that final day when Christ will return. And Christ will call those who are in Christ home for all eternity. Go to Acts chapter 7. So we're heading for our portion of the New Testament. We're in the book of Acts. Stephen has been arrested. Stephen has been um, dragged in. And now he's given an account we left off with him sharing with the council. Remember, they brought in witnesses to lie about him. Stephen, as I like to say, he was just a food service worker. Remember, there was an issue that started happening among the church where a certain part of the church felt like they were being neglected and the apostles were like, listen, we have got to stay focused on sharing the truth of God's word, sharing the gospel, preaching and teaching. So as the Holy Spirit led them, they picked out these men among the church who were a solid character to distribute food. Stephen was one of them. Stephen loved Jesus. <laughs> Stephen stood up to a crowd and began to share about Jesus. Well, that angered the crowd. And again, they dragged him in, they arrested him. And now he's standing before this religious council. And now they're demanding of him to give an account. And do you remember last week? Oh, he began to give an account. Not in his own, own strength and power, but as he was led by the Holy Spirit, he started way back in the beginning for them <laughs> to tell them the rich history of how the Jews have always rejected God. He's leading up to show them, ultimately, how they rejected Christ. You see, God has always intervened, basically, this is what he's telling them, in our lives and in the history of our people, but we have rejected him. And so it is now we get to the understanding that the whole layout of how he is laying out the case is that now you all have rejected the ultimate deliverer, Jesus. So look at this, Acts chapter 7, verse 30 through 50. Is all we're reading today. Stephen goes on. Forty years later in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went to take a closer work, look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with terror, and he did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. There's that word again. Go. From the beginning, God is telling his people to go. Go tell others. (laughs) Moses was commissioned to go. Go back to Egypt. So God sent the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to their ruler and savior, to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Moses was with our ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us by our ancestors. But our ancestors, listen to this, refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, Moses, I'm sorry, make some gods who can lead us. For we don't know what has become of this Moses um, who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. Then God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. In the book of the prophets it is written, Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Molech, and the star of your god, Rapham, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God has shown Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory, and it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God for the God or Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't have, I'm sorry, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophets say, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? This is Stephen. This is, as we were talking about on Wednesday, he's part of the church that was just birthed. They just received the Holy Spirit. He's new to the faith. But he understands the rich history of his people. His eyes and his mind have been open to truth. And he's standing before a religious council, not quivering, not shaking in fear, not going, oh, what am I going to say? No, he opened his mouth and he begins to speak. And as he's speaking, again, he's laying out the case that our people have always rejected God. And he's going to be the first martyr of the faith. He ultimately will be killed after this trial. 
because they don't want to hear it. As it is today, people do not want to hear truth. But do not water down the truth just to appease the people to make them feel comfortable. No, you are to stand for truth. You should be able to, again, defend the faith. Like you're rejecting God. God's not rejecting you. God has done everything to reconcile you to himself because he's a good God. He's a great God. He's a loving God. But you're rejecting him. That's the reality. If you're not in Christ, like you're rejecting him. And that's where we have to wake up, you all. You know, like we talked about before, Jesus had thousands of disciples. The Bible calls them disciples. They were following him. He was feeding them. He was ministering. He was speaking with such authority. They were so moved by him. But when the point of Jesus' ministry, it started shifting to the cross. When he had to really give them an understanding, listen, my purpose is much greater than feeding you loaves and fish. My purpose is to deliver you. Deliver you. It's a spiritual purpose. So you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And remember what the people say. What is he saying? This is too hard for us to understand. And so the Bible says they left. They left him. They turned and walked away. And Jesus stood there and watched them leave. The twelve stayed. And he looked at them and said, are you leaving too? And remember Peter's response and their response? Where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. See, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows. See, not everyone's going to heaven. Because not everybody wants Jesus. The true Jesus. You know, these men who were sitting there that Stephen was speaking to, remember, remember, they were the religious men of the day. They were well scholared. They had the knowledge. They knew everything about God, and yet they did not know God. And Stephen, a food service worker standing there, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is laying out a case against them. Oh, they think they have him on trial. Oh, no, no, no. In the natural, that's what it looks like. That Stephen is on trial. But Stephen isn't on trial. They're on trial. And he's laying out a case against them. Because that's what their created does. (laughs) They reject God. And he's looking at them. Eye to eye. (laughs) Like... All we've done is rejected him. And he has done everything to reveal himself to us. Oh, that we would wake up and be inspired by the life of Stephen. Let God use you all to go forth. Stephen wasn't being arrogant. He wasn't being cocky. He, didn't, he wasn't prideful. He was broken. He was sharing with them. Like, look what we've done. Look what our people have done. So again, it's not about you going out thinking that you're something now. Because reality, no. It's all about Christ. Christ is everything, you all. And as we read earlier, that is who you're representing. 
if you're claiming his name. And that's why I keep saying throughout today, that's why as Christians, we're not to be offended by him. No, we're to be able to defend the faith. We should be able to stand on the truth. Because ultimately, it's the truth that sets us free. Go to Psalm 128. We're coming to a close. Psalm 128. It's a short psalm. Oh, but it's a, it's a powerful psalm. And I've always showed you the book of Psalms. If you haven't read through it, you should read through it, especially if you're going through a difficult time in life. Because I love the fact that the psalmists are so transparent. These are just average men. But they're so transparent about their life. When they're really filled with anxiety, they can't sleep. When they're bound by sin. When they're facing the greatest challenges of life. When everything around them seems to be crumbling. Oh, they pin about it. But the beauty of what they pin as they're inspired by the Holy Spirit is that they may talk about their circumstances in one or two or three lines. But they always go back and say, but God, you. Oh, would we learn that? Yeah, life, life, life is hard. Life is hard. But God. Oh, I wish we could just learn that. Yes, I'm going through. Yes, my life is this and that, and this is what's happening. But God. But God. You see, God is greater than our circumstances. God is greater than whatever, whatever we're facing today. But God. So look up. And that's why I've been encouraging us as we're reading through the book of Psalms that you would look up. Remember God. Remember how great He is. How He has seen you through. How faithful He is. Even when you haven't been faithful. God is good. And oh, that's how the church should be representing God. Because we know our God. So listen to Psalm 128. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. All who follow His ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. This is the Lord's blessing for those who fear Him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. And oh, gracious, I use many different study Bibles to to study, to pray through. And there's a commentary from Tony Evans' study Bible that we have to hear that goes along with this psalm. In In and of itself, that psalm is so encouraging. You live for God, God will bless you. Ultimately, that's his plan, that's his purpose. Again, it doesn't mean your life is going to be a bed of roses, but it does mean that ultimately as you trust in him, as you live for him, as you fear him, God brings about his plans and his purposes for our life. But I love how Pastor Tony lays this psalm out. So listen to this. The first covenantal sphere through which God works is the individual. God's goal is that every person learns to take him seriously and to govern himself or herself under divine rule. We must be willing to embrace commitment and accountability. And that's what most people run from is accountability. (laughs) But we must embrace it. 
The Lord will bless those who do so in their fortune. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. Their feelings, you will be happy. And their future, it will go well for you. The next sphere is the family. Sphere is the family, which God created to be the foundation of civilization. Societal breakdown in the United States doesn't begin with the White House. It begins in your house. Since God designed men to be godly leaders in their homes, he addresses them. To the man who fears the Lord, he says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Your children like young olive trees around your table. When a husband takes God seriously, becomes a servant leader in his home, and loves his wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church, he encourages his wife to fulfill to be the fruitful helper, helpful, helper God wants her to be. Furthermore, such a man is diligent to gather his children around the table, to teach them wisdom, a habit that will result in productive citizens. The third sphere through which God accomplishes his kingdom purposes, is the church. The name Zion was used in the Old Testament to describe either the city of Jerusalem or the holy temple within it. But in the New Testament, the church is the temple of God, and Christians are said to come to worship at Mount Zion. Thus, Zion refers to the church, God's people. As you have been born again by placing faith in Jesus, you're not only a child, but part of a family that calls God our Father. Thus, in the New Testament, taking an active part in a local church is an expected part of the Christian experience. The church is like an embassy operating with God's kingdom authority in a foreign land. It is where the rules of eternity operate at a location in history. We gather together to hear from heaven so that we may live out heaven's viewpoint in the world. The final sphere is society. The psalmist concludes with a desire to see prosperity in Jerusalem and peace in Israel. His desire's well-being for the capital and country where God's people dwelled. Frequently, we expect our country to be made better from the top down through politics. But God wants to see societies transformed from the bottom up when God's kingdom agenda is a priority in individuals who are committed to families, that are committed to churches, that are committed to making a difference in their communities, then society is transformed for the better. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, that should encourage us. And that's why I always encourage you, it starts with you. It starts with you. And then you can impact those around you, your families, your co-workers, your friends. You should be active in a church and in community living with other believers so that then you're going out into your community impacting it with truth. Oh, that's beautiful. Let's close Proverbs 16. The book of wisdom. Proverbs 16. You all got a lot today. I hope you're full. And I hope you take it and, and pray through it and study it. Join us on Wednesday night. 
Proverbs 16, 31 through 33. We're finishing chapter 16 today. So gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained by living a godly life. Better to be patient than powerful. huh? Better to have self-control than conquer a city. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Ah, this is the word of the Lord, you all. I pray that you've been encouraged. We're going to close with this last song, and then I'll close us in prayer.
even if you can't see how I'll even use your failure to help